Dog Talk and Kitties too. I'm Trick Basie Hotchner. I love cats and dogs and the people who care about them. Every week I speak to authors and experts so we can better understand and appreciate the animals that are part of our world. To hear other episodes of this show and other pet talk radio shows I co-host with top veterinarians and pet experts, please go to radiopetlady.com. I'm also producing the Dog Film Festival, which celebrates the love between dogs and their people and the rescue groups that bring them together. With a generous grant from the Petco Foundation, I'm taking the festival across the country, most especially to East Hampton on August 2nd at Guild Hall to benefit ARF, the Animal Rescue Fund of the Hamptons. And to kick off the festival, our nonprofit partner, the Pet Philanthropy Circle, is throwing an afternoon tea pooch party at a private estate in Watermill with deluxe doggy swag bags filled with goodies for everyone. I'd love to meet you and your dog Sunday, July 31st. Tickets are a tax-deductible donation and specially priced for Dog Talk listeners at $100. Go to dogfilmfestival.com to find out how to join me there. This show is brought to you with the generous support of Waruva, a privately owned pet food company that uses people food to make food for cats and dogs in their family's human food facility. Pouches of their cats in the kitchen, their more economical BFF, best feline friend, and all variety of canned Waruva for cats and dogs are made with the same care and specifications used to make food for people. Waruva's owners want to feed your pets and their own dogs and rescued kitties, Webster, Rudy, and Vanessa, for whom the company is named, with the ingredients that are good enough for people to eat. And Waruva is putting generous samples of their food in the deluxe doggy swag bags at the Dog Film Festival Afternoon Tea Pooch Party, July 31st. Dog Talk is a production of Pet Media Inc., which is solely responsible for its content. I have three wonderful guests. Bronwyn Dickey is here with her book, Pitbull. The Battle Over an American Icon, a great history of pit bulls in this country. It's got a lot of surprises in it. Then Joanna Dickton's going to be here from Lollipop Farm in Rochester, New York, talking about Penelope the goat, the cutest thing you ever saw in your whole life, and a lot of the other animals they rescue. I'm going to be at the Little Theater in Rochester tomorrow with the the, uh, Dog Film Festival, which will benefit Lollipop Farm. And to those of you who haven't realized it yet, it's just a couple of weeks away. I'll be at the at Guildhall in East Hampton on Tuesday, August 2nd with the Dog Film Festival. Would love you to join me. Dogfilmfestival.com has the tickets. And then my third guest is Karina Musurana from Milano, who's developed a pet hair roller, which is quite surprising, as, as is the challenge of bringing a foreign product into the U.S. Bronwyn, welcome to the show. Before we even start about this marvelous book, your name is so unusual. I, so, I mean, maybe you're sick of answering this, but where does the name Bronwyn come from? Um, it's an old-fashioned Welsh name. And my parents, um, my father was um, kind of very taken with all the romance of the Welsh <laughs> mining country. So I, I believe he got it from a Patrick O'Brien novel called Testimonies. Oh it was one of the goodness. few Patrick O'Brien novels that wasn't kind of like a seafaring thing. 
also uh, the Maureen O'Hara film, How Green Was My Valley. Seriously, this is so funny. I mean, I actually didn't know this when I was reading your book, but someone told me subsequently that your father was the very famous author James Dickey and my father, who is a, a pretty well-known author himself. It turns out I was named after the Catherine, not really the Catherine Hepburn character in Philadelphia's story, because first it was a play by Philip Berry on Broadway, and it was called, right. and the character's name was Tracy, and was apparently named after a tugboat line that went up and down the rivers of, oh. this, of Manhattan, the Tracy tugboat huh. line, and they, that's where they got the name from. Who knows if that's oh, true? So but it's nice to, to find that we have some sort of sort of a connection to the past with our. I know mine was very weird as a child. Yours is still pretty original. So you did the genesis of this brilliantly researched book about the whole history of pit bulls, or they were obviously called many things before they were called pit bulls, but through English history as well as American history, did it really come with your adoption of your dog Nola and this recognition that you had walked into a kind of hornet's nest of controversy and problems? <laughs> Not with your own dog, yes. but with the issue? Yeah, well, that's certainly when it kind of sped up. Originally, though, I started being interested in it back in 2008 when um, I met a friend's dog. I was I had always been terrified of pit bulls, and I didn't want anything to do with them. Um, and then I was on a reporting assignment and went over to dinner at a friend's house, and uh, their family had a black pit bull who kind of jumped up in my lap and curled up and spent the whole night there. And I remember thinking, just as a journalist, I haven't had any experience with these dogs, so how do I have such strong opinions about what they are like? Um, and so I just kind of wanted to test that out in terms of were the, the nice dogs I was encountering, were they outliers, or was there more to this story than, than maybe I knew? So I just kind of out of a personal curiosity, I started researching it more on my own, researching the science, researching the history, and then when... Uh, Certainly, when we adopted Nola in 2010, de things definitely um, kind of snowballed. This is amazing. A book with this depth, it sort of feels to me as though it's a life's work in terms of the not just the depth of the research you've done through history, going back to Pompeii, not just, you know, oldie <laughs> England and modern England and modern America, but that, that it would be – it just seems to have been this creation from – a, a kind of a, a historical perspective and that maybe afterwards you decided to adopt a pit bull. It's sort of hard to tell which came first, the chicken or the egg, but how right. amazing that that kernel is. It's what's always so interesting, isn't it? As a writer, the kernel that kind of turns into the pearl and the oyster and then overtakes the oyster and becomes the oyster. Absolutely. That's exactly what happened. I got to a point where especially after we had Nola and people were, um, they had very strong reactions to her and very strong opinions about her. Whereas, you know, I don't go around telling my friends what kind of dogs they should have or, you know, <laughs> commenting on their life. You know, but when it's a pit bull, everyone has an opinion and everyone thinks they know, quote, the truth. Mm -hmm. So, and I still get that even after seven years of researching this and writing the book, I still have people kind of come up to me who I've never met say, let me tell you what the real deal wow. is with those dogs. No <laughs> you know, kidding. You know, it, uh, do dog explaining, I guess. Oh, that, I love um, that. That's a great. <laughs> isn't that funny? Because so, there yeah, is so much really emotion around it, at least in modern America. There really is. And I think, as I kind of said in the book, I 
you know, I had never really considered myself a, an animal person or a dog person. I was really more interested in thinking about how we perceive dogs and how we turn dogs into symbols for ourselves. Um, so the, the process of doing that and seeing how invested people were in dogs in general, it really did seem that dogs have become this kind of secular religion for us in a way. So you have your, your sects, you have your cults. You yes. have your um, dogmas and orthodoxies <laughs> and gurus and and people get very very defensive about about those things being challenged. It was really interesting. It's true. There's and and there's there's you have. I, I think what I love most about it isn't just the facts, some of which some of us know, most of which none of us know. But the the idea of this kind of arc of human history as seen through this breed kind of reminds me of, of a book like Seabiscuit and You Should Only Be So Successful oh, in that okay. it looks at a, at, at a culture, in that case, America at a snapshot in time, but in this case, a whole culture of humanoids and how this breed not only has woven through it or this combo breed, but the the dreadfulness of humans going way back. Jeez, Bronwyn, your description yeah. <laughs> of what England was like at a time when bull baiting, bear baiting, human baiting, dog baiting right, was, exactly. was the norm. And you're like, whoa. And we think, you know, the people cutting heads off of people on a video, isn't that terrible? But you'd write about not just public dog fights and bull baiting, but people being disemboweled and boiled alive. And this was sort of like, let's mm -hmm. all go see somebody be boiled alive today. They did something wrong. Right. The barbarism of humans. Did this not must have sort of chilled you as you learned more and more about it? Sure. Absolutely. I mean, you think about when we look back in history about how um, we've tortured and abused animals over, over time, and then we, you know, that's always kind of immediately alarming and disturbing to us. But seeing how people treated each other, of course, yes. putting that all into perspective was, you know, in America, our last public execution, public executions didn't stop here until the 1930s. Wow. So, you know, to think that, to, or I guess to remember um, that many groups of people thought death was, was prime entertainment for a very long time. And as our um, empathy and kind of understanding of suffering has grown for each other, naturally, uh, you know, animals have been kind of incorporated in that. But, but we have a very dark history of we cruelty. Do. It goes back a long time. And it seems to be part of the, um, the human DNA or genetics. I mean, right. otherwise, why would it go against, uh, go throughout so many different cultures with completely different, right. you know, underpinnings to their culture? And, and in fact, you know, modern day dog fighting and someone like Michael Vick and all of the, the press about it, it, it sort of focus on this one bad man. And then people had an idea, right. well, there must be some other few bad men. But my God, the bad men that preceded him by centuries right. and locations it's been woven into our history. It's, it's fascinating to read. It's, it's a real, I don't know, wake up call is sort of an annoying phrase, but it woke me up <laughs> to realize that we're actually doing way better than we thought. I'm all up in arms. You know, the dogs, we really up. are. Oh my gosh. People right. are on, we you know, really they, their dogs on a chain in the backyard with a dog house year round. And I just walk around seething. How is this possible? How sure. could this happen? Right. That's nothing compared 
to what's been done. Right. Especially when you think about, you know, we've lived with dogs for, uh, you know, roughly 35,000 years. And only in the past hundred has kind of the pet culture that we realize really kind of um, overtaken the the dominant way dogs are kept. Um, Things have been really hard for people and dogs for a really long time. But I think what was really interesting to me about studying all that, as bleak as it was, was that the link between human suffering and animal suffering, the, the times even in history or, you know, the cases of cruelty you see now um, are most concentrated and most severe in situations where human beings themselves are suffering. Yes. Not saying that anyone, you know, not saying that dog fighting only happens in certain areas. That's certainly not true. There have been dog fighters who were doctors who were arrested, that kind of thing. But it's most concentrated and it's most problematic in areas where people are themselves suffering very badly. So on the global scale, you see dog fighting popular in places like Russia, Brazil, the Philippines, Afghanistan, I mean, places where human rights themselves are being violated all the time and people feel you know, subjected to violence themselves. So it's just such an important link. And it's something really important to remember that if we want to eradicate cruelty, we really have to start by building safe, humane communities for people as well. I love that. It's very well said. And, and sort of sociopolitically, you make an extraordinary case in the book. And for anyone who's interested in history and and looking at it in a, in a different way, this book is fantastic for someone that doesn't own dogs, doesn't even have an opinion about pit bulls, because the battle over over an American icon, which is your subtitle, is really a, a, a landscape battle, as you say, about people and the idea that, that mm-hmm. pit bulls have become a symbol of lower class and that, in fact, dogs mm-hmm. throughout history, beginning at least in, in our view, the British, who from whom we're sort of descended in our a lot of our attitudes and behaviors. Very much, sure. The idea that at one point pit bulls and fighting dogs and so forth were aristocratic and then it became more hunting and 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 retrieving dogs. But it was really mm-hmm. fascinating that having made the pit bull a pariah, we can be kind of racist without Very overtly or even consciously being racist. Oh, these are like inner city dogs. These are for like right. people in the hood, those hood people right. that wear chains around their necks and chains around their dogs' necks. But that's simply, it's become this pariah dog. But it was sub- something quite else. Your chapter on how it was America's dog, you know, from Helen Keller mm-hmm. to the Spanky and our gang, that Pitbull enthusiasts point out, hey, wait, this was like the dog on the, you know, Uncle Sam wants you type of poster. It's much deeper Mm -hmm. than that, Bronwyn. And the way you look at it is profound and really interesting how these. Thank you. No, it's, it's, it's because we have to stop and think, what are we doing? What are we thinking? Why are we letting this sort of flow of ideas go by and going, oh, yeah, I hate, I love, it's black, it's white. Talk a little bit about your, your recognition of the desire for the good guys and the bad guys and, and why, and how that changes historically oh, very and the much. animals that yeah. die in the, in, in the process for no good reason. Right. And we've also, you know, unfortunately we've, you know, over time, the way as much and as necessary and important as the animal welfare movement has been in this country and around the world, 
it's done such incredible work. But there is this piece of it, you know, it was started by wealthy aristocrats in the 19th century because the only people who could volunteer for philanthropic causes were people who had time and leisure and money to, to do that. So it's always you know, that legacy is still with us today. It's not a diverse field at all. I believe veterinary medicine is the least racially diverse field of all professional fields in America. So there's this huge amount of America that isn't being spoken to or listened to or incorporated in how we think about human-animal relationships. So, for instance, you know, if someone doesn't have the, the money to, say, build a fence, um, right. We consider right. them savage and cruel. And, you know, You're when right. I met so many people around this country um, in from every walk of life, in every type of neighborhood, who and the majority of them really were trying to do the right thing. So many had found a dog that was stray and injured somewhere and they took it in and they didn't have really money to care for it, but they really didn't want the dog to be put down. So they were kind of, you know, scrimping and trying to find table scraps and trying to, you know, there was a man that, um, a woman I interviewed, she met in New York and he had found a stray pit bull and didn't want the dog to be put down because he really bonded with her and he, but she was cold when they were taking walks during the winter. So he found a stray piece of carpet and tied it together, you know? And so it's, but yet from the other side, I think sometimes we can say, Oh, that's not the situation that I would want for my pet. Therefore this person must be cruel, right? Or this person must have that dog because they want to be macho and intimidate people. But there's this whole landscape of, of people and animals who are trying to get by, who need each other, who depend on each other, and they're just trying to do the right thing, and they've been kind of shut out of the conversation. Absolutely, and and looked down upon and dismissed in the way that a pit bull-looking dog can be dismissed. So can the people who own them, and, and presumptions Very literally much. jump to. And and you, you have a, a great chart and a graph in there even about fads and trends in dogs, you know, from, mm-hmm. I don't know, in a 50 or 100 year period, periods where everybody wanted a Doberman, everybody wanted a St. Bernard. Oh, no, I want a Dalmatian. And right. and then and then those dogs, when they're no longer wanted or discarded, I mean, there's a, some epidemic going on in Turkey at the moment, apparently. I've suddenly yes. heard about it from five directions. All kinds of golden retriever lovers are going over to Turkey and bringing back these dogs that beca- that were a status symbol for a minute and a half, apparently. And then yeah. left in the street. So the streets are littered yeah. with them. And, and, you know, how is that different from pit bulls? It, the people that owned yeah. them at some point weren't spaying and neutering because they didn't have the money, the wherewithal, yeah. a car to go to somewhere, didn't even know that was a good thing to do. I mean, in my childhood, right. nobody's dogs were spayed and neutered, just saying. And Absolutely. I'm not 107 years time. old, you know? <laughs> I remember I, the first time I heard about spay and neuter, I thought it sounded completely barbaric. I mean, it... It the thought that you would surgically remove dogs' organs. Well, how I mean, about it this? Sounded like something horrible people would do, and that is also something I've seen when I've spoken to a lot of people. Or, for instance, people who um, aren't native English speakers, and they the process hasn't been fully explained to them. It sounds really barbaric yes. that you would allow someone 
to do something that invasive to your animal. Well, it, unless you know, I, you I don't understand I don't, the context. I, I don't want to suggest idea for another book because seven years you're probably just like, <laughs> catching your breath and going, "What just happened to the last seven years of my life?" But the whole concept <laughs> of sterilizing dogs, when and how and yeah. why it's done, there's. In the same way that you get this, you personally as a writer and as a thinker have this grand overview, there's a grand overview to be had about that. It's really interesting. Very I much. Just, uh, just recently um, interviewed, uh, and, and people will hear that show in, in a few weeks, a professor of oncology at, at University of Pennsylvania School of Veterinary Medicine, a veterinary oncologist who's of Norwegian background, and she's studying mammary gland, mammary tumors mm. in dogs, which are only found in strays because we now spay mm-hmm. and neuter all dogs. And so the studying of it, the understanding of it has come with bringing dogs out of shelters that already have the tumors. She had this idea to study canine mammary tumors in, on, a, on a, some sort of sabbatical or something to Norway, her native country, where it is illegal, Bronwyn, to spay or neuter mm. a dog. It's illegal. Period. Wow. Yeah. I had no idea. I didn't either. I'm learning something new every day. It's why this show is such such a gift to me as well as to anybody listening. So the the the, the changing of ideas. Countries like Italy, I thought, oh, it's because they're Catholic. Oh, it's because they're Latino Latin and macho where they were like, You do what to a dog? Say what? They just they don't say it that way because they're Italian. So they don't really say it like somebody from North Carolina. But uh it's like this idea to them is utterly peculiar and to those of us who have been told that it's great it's great and now it's very clear the health implications are shocking when it's done to little teeny tiny infant puppies too early and kittens. yes They're and that's, that's another thing that's so yeah so problematic you're removing something like i mean i would have to look at the actual something like a third of the dog's endocrine system almost yeah, not you to know? mention so, brain development personality uh absolutely. immune system we're running out of time, but I'll tell you this. Nobody could do that book better than you. And if you think you've had oh, blowback you. over your pit bull, you know, information or, or thoughts, God only knows what you would get on one about sterilizing dogs. But it's really interesting, sure. you know, because we used to sterilize people. There's sure. some countries where they still want to sterilize people of diminished exactly. capacity. Exactly, and the legacy of that, the legacy of that is also very much still around in certain parts of the country. I mean, North Carolina, those laws, mandatory sterilization laws, were still on the books until the 1970s. So when you're going into a community and kind of, if you don't have a relationship, if you just want to walk in there and say, oh, let me sterilize all your pets, People are going to say, "Wait, wait a second! I don't even know you." Exactly. You know? Do what to so my dog? Or you, or, building. Or, or you look at China or India, where there's been forced sterilization right. of human women. So, right. I tell you, it's a complicated world we live in. Pitbull by Bronwyn Dickey, the battle over an American icon, is a book that anyone interested in the history of humans and how they treat each other, not to mention their dogs, it's just a delight and fascinating and just beautifully done. I can't wait to know what your next book is. I hope it has something to do with dogs so I get to talk to you again. Simply terrific. Thank you so much, Ronwin. Have a great rest of the day. It's a pleasure. Bye-bye. This show is made possible in part by Precious Cat Litter, owned by Dr. Elsie, a feline-only veterinarian in Colorado who has created innovative litters for the health of all members of the family with low-dust litters that allow everyone to breathe easier. 
Precious Cat's newest health monitor litter has broken new ground by allowing people to find the early signs of kidney disease in their kitty cats and intervene before damage is done, prolonging the quality and length of a cat's life. This show is also brought to you with the generous support of Nordic Naturals, omega-3 fish oil products that provide dogs and cats with the same premium quality omega-3 fish oils as for people. Research shows that even the best diets are deficient in the essential fatty acids found in omega-3 oils. However, all fish oil is not created equal. The Nordic Naturals difference is that their oil comes from Norway where they use responsibly sourced healthy wild fish and third-party testing to guarantee purity and freshness. I am here with the woman who took care of, bottle-fed, brought into health and wellness, little Penelope the goat. Those of you that read my blog saw that little baby goat wearing a white and green hand-knit sweater. And when I found out that Joanna Dicton, who's the farm and safety manager of Lollipop Farm, was the woman who fed her round the clock until she got strong enough. I thought, i got to meet this lady. Joanna, welcome to the show. Thank you. How Was that the first time you've bottle-fed a baby goat, or do you bottle-feed many baby creatures? Um, we actually don't have babies very often. As an animal shelter, we you know, are a, a home for unwanted or overpopulated animals, so we don't let anything breed here. Right. The only time we ever get... The only time we ever get babies is if they come in pregnant. So I have actually bottle fed, and I was one of many of the farm staff who, um, you know, got Penelope on the way to a strong and healthy life. Um, you know, she's still concerned. You know, she's still smaller than the other ones, but she's doing so well and progressing. And It takes um, a village, obviously, one woman. It, it would it, take yeah. only a mother goat could give enough milk around the clock for a baby right, goat. It was kind of odd because, you know, they are they are pygmy mixed goats, and her mother had four, which, although not uncommon, it's it's not common, but it's not unheard of, I guess is the best way to put it. So, you know, it was kind of like she, she had three is a lot to take care of anyway, and you only have two udders. So right. it was like, okay, she's already weak, she's already little, mom was sort of pushing her away already. So we knew that we immediately had to step in and do something. And the other guys were boys, right? Boy bully babies. Yeah, and actually it was the mom. The one brother wouldn't sleep with her and kind of snuggle up with her. But it was the mom that was, mom would talk to her and call to her, but she just didn't have the same I need to take care of you instinct. Oh, my goodness. to Penelope. Oh, that's so So. touching. How did you wind up with these pregnant moms? I mean, that backstory of that, it, it may, Lollipop Farm, is is actually a farm. It's not just the word farm, and there's not just dogs and cats, which of which there are many. You are the greater. Yeah, you're, you're the humane society of the greater area of Rochester. So you you cover a huge piece of land, right? Or, or right, and, geography. and we cover we cover almost every type of domestic and farm animal as well. Um, and if you know, we help people. Sometimes they they're not sure about admitting it here, so we network with them and try to help them place their animal if we oh, can't take it. Oh, nice! We don't we don't we don't uh, turn anyone away, but we sometimes will try to help them place the animal before they have to bring it here too. So. An intermediary of some kind. So, yeah, so especially these, with horses. I can imagine. I saw one on your website, a beautiful sixteen hand thoroughbred who even jumps, and I thought, wow. There, I mean, there's a lot of people whose kids outgrow a horse or they lose interest. And yeah. the horse that you absolutely had to buy immediately or somebody else would buy it, 
there's no market for that horse very often no. in the horse world. And if you don't have some place to retire them to, which is something I guess we need to talk about people thinking about, uh, yeah. then it becomes your problem. And that's not really right because horses, and I suppose goats too, are really not disposable the way sadly dogs and cats have become. Oh, we'll find another home for it. But that's not so true with goats and horses, right? Right. It, for someone to take in that type of animal, they really have to have the proper setup. You have to be zoned for farm animals. You know, there's a right. whole misconception, especially with pot pigs, there's this misconception on this teacup or mini pig that'll stay less than 50 pounds. And it's unfortunately all a very big miscommunication. That's a nice way of done. putting it. Yeah, it's a big it, fat it lie. It's a marketing <laughs> it's a, ploy. It is. It's a marketing ploy, um, and unfortunately, what breeders are doing now, they're for, with the pot pigs, they're telling people to malnourish their piglet so it doesn't grow as big. Oh, that's when you horrible. have a growing baby that needs more nutrition to help its growth. Once they're adults, yes, they you cut back on the food and they don't need as much. But when they're growing, so they're they're giving people correct information, but at the wrong time. So they're perpetuating this lie, and then we we actually see pigs come in that have a larger head. It doesn't kind of proportionally oh, sit with their body. Oh, that's horrible. And it's, you know, and people are devastated when they find out. And it's like, I, you know, they fell victim to that mythical pig um, that they thought they were going to get, and it's just not the case. Right. The Vietnamese so, pot-bellied pig may be a pig whose belly hangs down a bit more. I can't even speak to that. You could. But they're yep, not miniature. There is no such thing as a miniature pig, right? No. They, you know, if they started using the word miniature in reference to their size compared to the farm pigs that are used for food right. that go anywhere from 200 to 1,000 pounds. That's right. A pot belly, a pot belly pig is going to range anywhere from 80 to 180 pounds normally. You know, sometimes some are bigger, some are, some are smaller, but it's just what it is. It's all relative, it's in all other relative. words, compared to what. And, but, but there is such a thing as a pygmy goat, and Penelope is pygmy. She'll never be a big girl. She even... Even yeah, she she'll was probably fl- get it to be about knee high, maybe. Oh my she is, God! She's and she is smaller than the other goats, so she's probably not going to be as big as them in the long run either. But you know what? You just never know because sometimes they get their growth spurts late, and she'll blossom into oh. be just as big as her brothers. But of course, min- little people are so drawn to yeah, little yep. a mini this and a teacup yep. that, which are also yep. bogus ideas when it comes to poodles and anything else. Tell and the- what's funny is usually those smaller animals have a bit more charisma slash personality when it comes to dominance. It's like the Napoleon complex. <laughs> so so they, they, it's like they have to prove themselves to the world. And yes. so they, you know, like miniature horses usually have oh, they're so, kind they're of like s- that diva attitude. Oh, like, they do. You know, my, mini don- my mini donkeys did not have it that much, but I can't really. If, if I compare them to the full-size donkeys I had as a, as a child growing up, I would say the mini donkeys did have more tood. They definitely were like, oh, no, not doing that and not doing this, and I don't like that hay. No, no, I want a completely different hay. Go get me a different hay. Tell them yeah. the story of the mama goats. How did you wind yeah. up with these? I'm, I'm shocked by four babies. I thought that, that sheep had one, and, one baby and maybe twins rarely, but four baby goats? Yeah, so we've had a couple different situations over – I've been here a long time, and we've had a number of situations where we've had pregnant goats. So one, two, even triplets we've seen, but I've never seen four. It's, wow. It was amazing. 
So these mamas, um, we actually got a call, uh, it was November, to go all the way to Albany area to assist with a cruelty case that they were um, going, they were basically going in to seize the animals. They've been monitoring the situation, trying to work with the owner, and things were not improving appropriately, so they made the decision that they needed to remove the animals. And there was over 150-some animals, and there were mostly God. birds and rabbits, but there was a good number of dogs, and then there were 12 goats total. My goodness. So they needed help handling the farm animals. There's, you know, they, they needed hands, and they yes, needed knowledge. And they needed, and they needed vans. They needed trucks. Yep. I mean, they probably yep. didn't have the physical way to, to remove them. Yeah. So they reached out to a number of humane societies, SPCAs throughout the state, and, I mean, the farthest one away that I know of was Buffalo. Erie County SCCA was there as well. To no kidding. Isn't and, that something? Yep. So we all traveled quite a distance to assist and catch everything up. And then um, Erie County took three goats because they do have a small farm section. And then we took the nine goats. Oh, my Lord. And we had, we had six girls and we had three boys. And we immediately separated everybody out because you don't you want don't more want babies. The, Yes, right. you don't want the inter intermingling to happen. So, um, and we had our vet check, but it, initially we couldn't really tell that they were pregnant. And over the, the four months that we had them before they started having babies, we watched them progress in size quicker than expected. <laughs> so, so uh, and we kept going to the vet. We're like, we're, we're really pretty sure that they're pregnant. And he was trying to palpate and feel the babies. And he was like, you know, I, I'm not sure I can feel anything. Well, with the one who had four, Angelica, like she was just so big. There was no he, room he, to feel any movement. Just, yeah, he's like, I don't feel anything. Well, it's because it was so tight, he couldn't. Wow. We couldn't make out the form of each baby. So. And is um, it and, too and expensive? She, is it too expensive to do an ultrasound the way they'll do on a, a pregnant dog that someone's breeding on purpose? Is that just too costly for a humane society to do with a farm animal? It, it can be. And like our, we have a clinic in our shelter for the smaller animals. And they do assist us with the farm animals a little bit, but we do have a large animal vet that we have come in. And it was just kind of a, well, if they are, they are. That's right. That's you know, true. What so are you going to do? Really, yeah, we weren't going to do anything. So we were like, well, if, if we have babies, we have babies. And if not, then okay. Right. So, you know, we were, they carry for about five months, and we were within a month of not having any babies. And all of a sudden, within days, they all started having babies. Oh, so my we had, goodness. We had two moms give birth the first day. And then one the day after, and one the day after that. So, and we, now when, we did when have. Some, when something like that happens, Joanna, in your community, and you obviously have a, a big engagement in your community, Facebook and otherwise, do people have an outpouring of enthusiasm? Do they show up to look at them? Do they give you extra money? Do more people volunteer? Does it inspire more engagement? Yes. Like, yes. like, what is it that people want to do when they go? Oh and my God, baby goats. And this is the first time, like, we've had some large cruelty cases with the farm animals, um, but it was, in, in, in social media, certainly, certainly helped get the word out, but it's really funny. We've all been kind of laughing because Penelope and her sweater, we were like, oh, gosh, we, we broke the Internet. You know, her, the response to her and all the shares, you know, it's like, we're going we're gonna to reach, like, a million people. This is the first time ever. So it's, it's great because she's... She's bringing light to the fact that lollipop is more than dogs and cats. Right. And 
you know, these farm animals are adoptable, too, when you have the proper setup and zoning permits and all that stuff. Right. And, so, and it can't just be in your backyard and like, oh, I'll let her go in the garage at night. People don't really understand. You right. need a little barn and you need, a, you know, someone to look after her hooves and they need to get vaccinated and yeah, wormed. Yeah. And, yeah, and, all and those certainly things. right now, because she's so little, um, she has been going home with a staff member. No. Um, home and, in what way home? Like we, because we again, because we, we have to give her feedings overnight. Oh my um, goodness! The, the first, so we were how does she go home? Like in the back so of a van? In a in a crate. She's so little. Oh she my fits god! In a little crate. Oh my and, god! Um, you know, so currently, yes, she is in a house, but it's not a long term solution. And we are feeding her outside a little bit to visit, and then we she goes in and plays with the goats during like in the morning. We let everyone out in the barn together to run around and play. And it's taken her a couple weeks, but she's now in the mix with everybody. So so, she, does she wear her sweater when she's out with the others, or do you only? Do you, is that only for photo opportunities? Um, no, she. If she's cold, we will put the sweater on her. <laughs> she looked like she had a, quite a bit of fuzzy hair. I mean, if anyone's wondering, well, how, besides the fact that who couldn't fall in love with Penelope the goat, why Lollipop Farm is near and dear to me is that it is the, the destination for one of the destinations for the Dog Film Festival this summer. And um, in July, we're going to be having a most wonderful Dog Film Festival in Rochester. And you guys are the beneficiaries. 50% of every ticket sold will go directly to you. And the the little theater is letting us bring dogs. So people who come, not everybody has to bring a dog. You are welcome to come without a dog, obviously. But it is going to make it um, an even more jolly situation. And I think the fact that you do run the gamut of so many different kinds of animals, it's just got to be a great teaching and learning uh, situation for all kinds of people in the community who might not stop and think. I mean, even a hoarding situation probably grew out of somebody started with one animal and just got more and more out of control. Yeah, and when we do our adoptions with the farm animals, like all of our males are neutered. The only female farm animal we can say is the potbelly pig um, because the because, like, our vet clinic does that for us, but the other farm animals, like the goats, the sheep, the horses, it's a much more involved surgery and much more complicated, so it's not an easy thing to do. But we don't let them go for breeding purposes. So when we adopt out, we have a contract. You know, these are just pets. Right. Certainly if you want wool from your sheep or you want egg, fresh eggs from your hen, that's not a problem, but they're not to be used for meat. They're not to be used for breeding. And if anything ever changed, we always want the first chance to take the animal back. So How often does here. that happen? How does that happen, Joanna, that somebody bounces back? You know, it all just depends. But, like, last summer we took in, took back in two donkeys. They had been adopted out for 12 years. Oh, um, my goodness. Had, yep, they, they had them. Um, they had lived at Lollipop for, uh, like, 12, 13 years, and they were adopted out for 12 years. So now they're back, and they'll probably live their life out here unless I find the perfect home for them. Wow. But, you know, like – Things change, and sometimes it's they uncontrollable. Do. So it happened to me. I yeah. mean, I got too many donkeys as something that my husband, who'd never seen a farm animal except for from afar, was really, you know, desperate to see. And then, and then he got ill, and I, I just couldn't handle all of it alone yeah. in a Vermont winter. And I was lucky enough to to be able to give Mona and Lisa to Green Chimneys, which I'm sure you know all about, which is a, a farm based. Uh, residential school for kids with all kinds of issues and challenges and um and they already had a donkey 
So I don't know. You might ask them. The thing about Don, if, if they might want another, because Mona horribly, tragically died um, from a colic, a, 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 just an unusual situation. So there was Lisa without her mom, who she'd never been apart from in, in all the 15 years of her life. And but, then that's what we have as a mother-daughter. And the, the mother's now 31 and the daughter's wow. 27. So it's sort wow. of like, you know, the... Uh, the, the 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 gray mansion you know the 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 bouvier women with the with the cats up in the up in the attic right an old mom and daughter been spinsters yeah. together forever but th- there's <laughs> there's sometimes a home I- even for them and and they do live a long time but it is a real challenge so even people who think just a bunny will be easy all animals have a lot of challenges and demands and responsibilities and it is a great opportunity all the time to say we'd love you to adopt but please don't adopt unless you really understand you got to be in this for the long haul all with all the best intentions right and and one of the things that people don't always think about is what happens if something happens to you tomorrow yep you know you have however many pets who is going to take responsibility from them and do they know you have them Um, you know nothing's worse than you have a situation where something happened to someone no one knew they had a pet. Absolutely. And, and then all of a sudden, they're like, holy cow, like, we went in and, you know, here's the cat that's been sitting and, okay, we, okay we've got to get the cat some medical attention now. Or um, I know we were, we were just talking about this recently when um, JFK Jr. passed away. They had all kinds of arrangements for all of their affairs except their pets. No kidding. Yeah. So Isn't it's just that one of, strange? One of those things. And some people will actually, we, we have like an estate planning, our development team will talk with people on what to do. Like, you know, you could just say and make it part of your wishes that your animals are returned to, or, or brought into Lollipop. They don't even have to be adopted from us. I'll and we will darned. rehome them. Oh, my God, that is so – and then leave some money with it, folks. But yeah, you know what? And, that and, is – I, I just redid my whole will yeah. and made sure that my house went to somebody who would come live in it so my dogs that are used to this life and they're still very young and very active can live here. And that sounds crazy to somebody else. Like, what, you give your whole house to somebody because they're willing – yeah, I did actually because these dogs would never be okay in a house, a regular normal house right. closed inside all the time or forget a shelter – but how incredible that Lollipop could be a wonderful way station for a dog. And then in the same will, you give $5,000, which sounds like, wow, that's so much. But it's not really when you consider the cost of taking them in and giving them a good, you know, foster kind of life until you find them another home. And even if there isn't the financial backing, you know, if you want to make sure your animals are taken care of, then they can... You know, but you have to make sure it's in the will so people know what your wishes are because if not, it, it could get overlooked. So, and, and they wind know, up in a shelter or they or they yeah. die, as you say, yeah. from being neglected. Yeah. You know, that's a really great thing. I would never say that aloud on the air. Just leave your dogs and cats to Lollipop Farm. But you know what? If you are set up and willing to do that, it is a huge thing that would take yeah. – People, you know, a huge burden off people's minds. And, yeah, financially, give them $10 a month between now and when you die and hope you don't die for 20 years. But what an incredible idea, Joanna, to be able to offer that to people. And when you look at some of the animals that live longer, like, you know, you have a horse that could live 20 to 30 years. You have, um, you know, poppily pigs that can live 15 to 20 years. Yes. Or what about parrots, the parrots that live 75 years, 80 years? So it's the same type of thing as the who, you know, it's 
making sure it's somebody that you trust to make the right decisions for your pet. You know, there are some geriatric pets that, you know, again, might like, be better like off. You, if, if they're not yeah. going to be happy anywhere else but in this house or in with my, with me. So, can you make sure to make sure the right decisions are made for my exactly. pet here or my wishes? Exactly. So, it's, it's great advice. That, it, it's yeah. sort of a gloomy note to end on. Yes. We've run out of time. Yes. But you know what? Yes. It's really important. And how incredible that Lollipop Farm can offer that kind of a safety net. I think it's incredible. I'm so excited to meet Penelope when I come to Lollipop Farm into mm-hmm. Rochester in July. And everyone should go on the Lollipop Farm website and watch her progress. Joanna, thanks for all you're doing for the farm animals and others. It's Thank just wonderful to, to, to talk to you. And I really look forward to meeting you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. You have a Bye-bye. great day. Bye-bye. You too. This show is brought to you with the generous support of Halo, holistic, natural cat and dog foods, which are made from real ingredients you can recognize. Halo uses real meat in their kibble, no rendered byproducts, chicken meal, or chemicals. And their new grain-free recipes, like Vigor, give you even more healthy choices for your pet's dinner, while Daily Greens brings vitamins and digestive enzymes into your dog's diet. Halo is a private company partly owned by Ellen DeGeneres, where they emphasize giving back by making donations to shelters through freekibble.com for pets awaiting a forever home. I am back with Karina Musurana from the Milan area of Italy, who, whose family has created some pet hair rollers that are so unbelievably interesting, and they still aren't available in America, that I just had to. I met her at Global Pet Expo in Orlando, Florida, and I just wanted to talk to her about what it's like to create a pet product in Italy and try to bring it to America. Karina, welcome to the radio show. Hello, Tracy. You're so welcome. It's lovely to meet you. I saw your pet hair rollers, and in America, we know about the lint roller. It's a roller that you put on your clothes when your dog's hair gets on you. But you created something that you roll on the dog or the cat. And I thought it was just one kind of roller. And then you were so kind, and you sent me a lot of samples. And there are many different ones, and they're very original and very interesting and I thought, que, que coraggio to have created this brand new product that nobody has ever thought of before and to, to make it. So talk a little bit about making your Italian, your companies in Italy. It's not easy to make products in Italy. They're very strict about ingredients, yes. very strict. So had you ever yes. made things for the pet world before in your company or was this the first time you made something for pets? Um, we are an Italian company and uh, in the last year we specialized ourselves in the production of uh, lint rollers uh, um, specialized for pets. Uh, my mother is a pharmacist. Ah. So she studied, yes, so she studied the, the one and only lint roller that you can use directly on the pets for uh, uh, because uh, it removes only the already dead hair and uh, at the same time it releases uh, different essential oils uh, with uh, therapeutic effects. Um, um, for example, the mosquito stop uh, um, contains uh, citronella, among the others, uh, which is a natural mosquito repellent, you know. I just I want to say and, something uh, about the, the citronella. When I had my house in Tuscany, everybody had a stick 
like you rubbed on you, like like you could put one on your lips, a chapstick for, for dry lips, but they had the Otan, A-U-T-A-N, and it was sold in all the farmacias, and it was citronella, and you rubbed it all over your, your neck and your chest and your legs and your ankles, and the mosquitoes would not bite you. So I know for a fact that it really works, and I, and I had... I never thought, well, what would that be like for dogs? Because it isn't just against mosquitoes, it's against all bugs, right? Yes, yes. And uh, an important thing is that uh, our items are absolutely safe because uh, the essential oils we use are natural, vegetal, and uh, at the same, um, are the same which are used in the, in the food industry. And uh, we work together with the university, Università di Milano, and uh, all our items are tested in efficacy and security, but obviously are not tested on animals. That's, that's good. It's good to be tested on people. What's interesting to me is knowing so much about how food safety laws are in Italy, actually all environmental laws, much more strict, much more severe than in the United yeah. States. And I was really yeah. impressed that you could make this because I know that they're very strict. You can't just do anything you like. You have to do it very correctly. And I, and I guess your yeah. mother being a pharmacist, which to people in America don't understand that a pharmacist in Italy is almost like a mini yeah. doctor. I mean, people go into the pharmacy in Italy and ask advice mm-hmm. from the pharmacist who sells them medications even without a doctor, without a prescription. So a pharmacist in Italy is a very distinguished and very respected position. It's not just a job in a pharmacy, right? That's the difference in America. Yes, it's different. And uh, our products are absolutely in compliance uh, uh, with the uh, European legislation. For example, we have uh, the REACH. Uh, the name of the, the, the legislation is the REACH. And our products are absolutely in compliance with the EU legislation because they're not toxic, not irritating, and not sensitizing. Well, in fact, they actually... When I rolled them on on two of my dogs, they sniffed each other and they really liked the smell, which was quite funny. But I have a lot of friends who are, yeah, they loved it. I have a lot of friends who are very worried about ticks and mosquitoes because mosquitoes in America carry a disease called heartworm. And even though you can take medication against heartworm, the first thing you want to do is repel it, keep it from you. And they were very excited to, to try it. And the sticky is just the right amount of sticky, not too sticky, not, you know, just right. And then they said, oh, where can I get it? And I said, you can't get it yet because Karina does not have distribution in the United States. And I, I just wonder how, how much confidence, how much courage it takes for you to try and get distribution in another country that, that, doesn't, that, that you created a product that didn't exist before. So I think that's yes. pretty interesting, and and one of them, one of them is for dogs that have like skin irritation also, and it, it it calms it down with the essential oils. When you were at Global Pet, did American companies show interest in carrying yes. it in in carrying the product in America? Yeah, yes, we are we are looking for distributors in the USA. Uh, you know that trying to sell the new market is always difficult. Very. But uh, we believe uh, we believe that uh, thanks to the quality and the distinctiveness of our products, we can meet uh, your needs. Uh, 
Yes, but the question is if if somebody that that sells to stores can understand it. How does it do in Italy? Have you been very successful in Italy? <clears throat> uh, for the moment, we sell in Italy, and you can find our products uh, in the pharmacy, uh, in the pet shop, in the pet uh, chain, uh, in the supermarket, and uh, wow. in Europe too. And also in Europe. Uh, what about what about England? Is England a place where in England? Yes. You you already are in selling England in England. Sell. So that yes, means if somebody if somebody wants a, a mugu. Am I pronouncing it correctly? Mugue? Mugu? How do you pronounce Mugue. it? Mugue. Mugue. So it's spelled M-U-G-U-E. We could all fly to England and find it in a store and, and bring it back to America. Yeah. I think really it is so innovative, Karina. It's so original because one thing is it really does take off the extra hair. So that way the pet isn't leaving it on their bed or they're not leaving it on your bed. And or in the car or on your clothes, it's better to get it off yes. the pet first instead of trying to get it off you. But I didn't understand that it would have all of these different essential oils. And a friend of mine is using on her Siamese cat who sheds a lot yes. and loves it, loves yes. it, loves it. But, but yes, she's so frustrated. She wants another. And I said, you can't have another. we got to get a distributor in America. I really just mm-hmm. wanted to invite you on because I thought... It takes so much confidence to create a product that no one has created before in a completely new way because we only think of a lint roller rolling on the person's clothing. And now we're saying, well, here's one that's really safe and also has another attribute to to roll on the pet. So it's a a whole new idea for people. And then to create it in in a country where they're very strict about the the safety of everything. I mean – we still have many products in America, whether they are for the environment or food, that would not be legal in, in Italy or in the EU. You know, things have food colorings, they have chemicals, they have preservatives, yes. things you just in Italy has been not been allowed for a really long time. So I think it's really fantastic that you did it. Then you came up with something else, which I thought was really an original idea, was this big zippered bag for the washing machine that you could put a whole pet bed into it. And it goes yeah, in the washing machine, <laughs> and then all the hair stays inside this special yes. bag that the water can go through. That was really clever. Have, have, has that done well? Have people been buying that? Yes, I think it's very useful <laughs> because um, that bag works uh, by retaining inside all the, the hair of the pets, which can uh, clog the filter. Oh, <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, yeah, you can save money because you can wash together uh, your uh, clothes and uh, the clothes of your pets and the beds of your pets uh, all together in the washing machine, and you can save time. I think it's I think it's tremendous because I have to do a lot of I have covers on all my dog beds, a lot of dog beds. <laughs> and when I do it in the washing machine, I do have to wait until I have enough for a big load. And then I have to run the machine afterwards on empty to get all the pet hair out of it. And the dryer is a nightmare. So I think that you, you've had really good ideas that no one else has thought of. I just hope that that somebody listening says, well, we'll bring that to America because we'd love to have you here. I think it's wonderful that you've created these things with your mother and a family company. And I just want to say brava. And I hope that that you can come to America and have great success here because you deserve it. 
Well, thank you very much. Well, I look forward to learning. I definitely look forward to learning when uh, when you when you do get distribution here. You be sure to send me an email so that I can tell everybody who listens. Okay. It would be yes, wonderful. of course. Okay, thank yes, you. Yes, of course. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Karina. Buona fortuna, and we'll too. talk again soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you very much. Sure. Thank you all for listening. Fun show, and we'll talk again next week. Bye for now. Bye.